Lord, we pray that you would help us to seek your face, that we would see it as the most beautiful thing in all the universe. Lord, it is so easy for us to be taken up in the now of the world, to be so caught up in the little things of this life that we can completely lose sight of the expanse of the new heavens and the new earth and the new creation and the eternal quality life that you have promised to us. Lord, help us to see who you really are and who we really are in you. Help us to see Jesus, Lord, we pray. You would give us minds to understand and hearts to obey your perfect word as you promise to beautify your afflicted ones. Amen. We are we're in the first week of the month. We've been take, stepping away from... Uh, First Samuel, the onslaught of First Samuel in the human condition, and we've been looking at passages talking about joy and rejoicing in the Lord and delighting in our God and, and uh, when, what it is that God is giving us so that we can focus on that and, and increase in our joy <clears throat> to remember what this is all about. This world, this is not about any temporary thing or anything that we can get in this life, although there are many good gifts in this life that God wants us to enjoy. Ultimately, what it's about is the attaining of an everlasting joy. And so that we're going to read today uh, from Matthew chapter 13, verse uh, 44 through 46, where God talks about a hidden treasure. Would you please stand uh, out of respect for the reading of God's word? This is Jesus speaking, and he says, He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, And bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. There's this guy named Mark Dice. He's a he he calls himself a media analyst. I don't know what that means exactly, but he goes he goes and makes videos. Uh, And I think the purpose is to chronicle human behavior and to and to make statements about things about human behavior and what we're really like. And he has he has. Two videos that he put out that I saw this week. One was, uh, and they're both filmed in Encinitas, my hometown, which has uh, caught my attention. And he's actually standing in front of Encinitas Coin Shop, which was the very first job that I had as a kid growing up. And what he does is he goes out in the crowd. He's got a microphone. He's got a cameraman. So people, it's not like he's wearing like ragged clothing or anything like that. It's obvious that there's something going on. And in one hand, he's got a stack of, uh, of chilled right out of the refrigerator, Hershey bars on the hot day, right? On the other hand, he's got a 10-ounce bar of silver. And he goes up to people on the street, and he asks them, he says, hey, we're giving stuff away today. What would you rather have today? Would you rather have a chilled Hershey bar right out of the fridge or this 10-ounce bar of silver? And I don't know how many people he interviewed. Obviously, he edited video, but he had a stack of Hershey bars and the video shows him going through all of those, at least 10, 12 Hershey bars. Everybody took the Hershey bar. 
and even tried to like push it on him. He's like, he's like, 10 ounces of silver bullion. Who wants 10 ounces, you know, silver bullion? And every time people would be like, no, no thanks. I'll take the Hershey bar over and over and over again. And then there's the second video he made. He has a, a Canadian maple leaf gold coin. It's one ounce of gold. It's worth $1,500. Face value, 50 bucks <laughs> from back in the day, right? And he goes out and he's out on the street again with the mic, cameraman. Something's going on and he's offering people. He's saying, hey, I'm going to need to pay my cell phone bill. I've got this coin I'm trying to sell. I'll give it to you for half price face value, 25 bucks. Will you take it? And he's standing in front of the coin shop and he's saying, I'll go to the co- I'll walk in the coin shop with you right now and you can verify that it's real and you probably maybe be able to sell it to them for a profit. Everybody says no. No, not interested. Just like if they were like, if you were like a panhandler or uh, somebody trying to like hand off some, you know, brochures or something on the, on the, just like some sort of regular old street hustle, right? Now, you know, I look at, I watch those videos and I was like, man, I would never do that. I'd not be that dumb. But the reality is, and I went, you know, whatever his point was, I think the point that I was getting out of it was that why, why nobody bit? Why did nobody take the silver? Why did nobody take the gold over the chilled Hershey chocolate bar? Because first, they probably weren't really sure it was real and they're just so used to things being fake. They didn't believe that it was actually valuable. The second reason, though, is probably that just in the midst of the busyness of their day, in the chaos, in the heat of life, it was just so much easier to focus on how good a nice, chilly Hershey bar would be right then than to think about having to deal with a bar of gold. And I think that's what God is trying to tell us in this passage. He's trying to tell us the big, big thing that he wants us to know is that we are, we tend to be, just like that, we tend to be spiritually myopic. That in the, in the busyness, in the confusion, in the heat of light, it's so easy to focus our attention on the right now, especially maybe those things that will make us feel better right now and, and forget all about or not be able to mentally comprehend or deal with the big promises and the big future and the eternal reality that God has for us. <clears throat> I think that's the big idea. Let me say first what this is not saying. This is not, these passages are not saying that you, we must somehow buy the kingdom of God. It is not saying that we must somehow work or earn or sell our things or something like that in order to earn or get the kingdom of God. That's not the point. There are too many passages of, uh, where it's talking about God giving us the kingdom to make that what it is. But what it is about is this. What God wants us to know, what Jesus is trying to teach these people and teach us uh, in, the, in this whole section of Matthew's gospel where in this section is the parable of the soils, the parable of the rich young ruler. It's all a complex of ideas bringing upon one big idea, and that is that eternal quality life is so good that even if it cost us everything, it would still be the best trade ever made. That eternal life is so good that even if it cost us everything, 
it would still be the best trade ever made. Let's look at that one little part at a time. First, eternal quality life is so good. What's the worst part about the great moments in life? The worst part about the great moments in life. Our, uh, our pastor, Ted Hamilton, <clears throat> of New Life, he used to always tell this story about how when he was in the most blessed and wonderful moments of his life, surrounded by family at holiday gatherings or something like that, when everything in the world is just absolutely perfect and your kids are with you and there's no stress and you're not thinking about the job and all you have to do is just relax and eat a great meal and be with your family and love each other and enjoy each other's company. He said that whenever he was in those spots in life, there would always be a pang of sadness that would pierce his heart because he knew, as a former attorney and just as an older wise man, he knew that as good as it was, no matter how long that moment might last, that eventually time Age, poor health, death, something was going to separate and break those bonds. They would eventually, those things would eventually come to claim us, to claim our loved ones. And so the worst part about the great moments in life is that they end. They always end. And I used to hear him say that stuff and think, man, that's a little melodramatic, bro. (laughs) I don't think that anymore. Now that I have kids, now that I'm older, I get it. And so, you know, when we think eternal life, I think probably the most common thing we think is uh, life that goes on forever, but that's not the primary thing about eternal life first about eternal life. The primary thing about eternal life that God wants us to know is that it is of a higher quality. Eternal life isn't... Eternal life is not this life now just as it is for a really long time because that would suck. Amen? Nobody wants to sign up for that. I don't want to sign up for that. But it's, I, I have this, this, I like to talk about all the time, eternal quality life. The quality of it, it is qualitatively different from this life. In, throughout the scriptures, God uses, in, 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 uh, in theology we talk about uh, analogical language, meaning that God uses stories, uses metaphors, uh, and uses language that we can understand to teach us about the realities of the new heavens and the new earth that are beyond the, the, even the potential of our earthbound, time-bound, finite minds to comprehend. And so John Calvin would say God speaks to us in baby talk when he talks about the, heaven, the, the new heavens and the, the new heavens coming down out of the out of the sky to earth. It's pictured in the form of a beautiful city made out of gold and rubies. It's not that. Heaven is a big city floating in space like a spaceship. I'm not kidding. There's some theology that tries to teach that. It's a picture, a metaphor. It's analogical language to the fact that the new heavens is a reality that is so beautiful. It takes every beautiful thing we know put together 
in a composite of a city to even give us the very beginning of a grasp of what it's going to be like when heaven comes and is rejoined with earth and we enter into the reality of the perfection of heaven. <clears throat> There's going to be, I'm convinced there will be massive differences. Differences that are so great uh, that we really cannot comprehend them now. The, our differences in our power, our differences in our abilities, our, the difference in our just our being. I like to, I use, I, this is, I'm not going to go into this, but I like to use quantum physics models to get a grasp on the multidimensional realities of heaven and what it is that we're going to be entering into. I think it gives a little mental foothold. The point is, eternal quality life is nothing like it is now. It is so much greater than that, so much better than what we have now, that God has to use baby talk and pictures to even give us a glimpse of what it's like. And the best part about eternal quality life is that in Christ, it starts now. It's not something that we're waiting for. The process, uh, you know, it says, you know, Bible says that God's will for us is our sanctification. And we look at that as like, oh, training, discipline, God wants to run us through the grinder. But that's not what that means. It means that God is wanting us to enter into the beginning stages of the beauty and power and abilities and reality and being of eternal quality life now. And now that we know that, now we can start talking about the second part of eternal life that is quantity, that is forever. I want you to, in 1970, we blew us, uh, we launched a spacecraft called the Voyager, Voyager Spacecraft 1 and 2 to go study the planets. And they are now, after 48 years, <clears throat> moving out of the solar system as fast as rockets go. <laughs> They are now nine, they're outside the edge of our known solar system, nine billion miles away. You picture that in your mind. You'll have a mental model of the solar system. We can't really grasp how big that is, but you can think nine billion miles, <clears throat> and you can think, picture of the solar system. Now I want you to draw, I want you to draw a mental line from here, where we are right now, San Diego, up nine billion miles to the Voyager 2 spacecraft. You got that in your mind? Solid line, okay? Now, once you take the first inch of that nine billion mile line, that is your life here and now in this world. And the rest of the nine billion miles is the life that you will have with Christ. The life that you will have confirmed in ethical righteousness where your sins will no longer gnaw at you day in and day out. Well, they will no longer fight and smother you. But we will be, for every, all of that line, that whole nine billion mile line, except for the first inch, we will be in the absolute perfection and freedom and everlasting joy of the heavenly realms. Okay? Flawed model, right? Because the line doesn't stop at nine billion miles. There is no line. It never stops. And it's not a line, it's probably something different than linear time, even better than that. But here's the question. Now that you've got that image in your mind, I want to ask you this. If that's true, <clears throat> what could possibly be contained in that one inch that's worth trading out the nine billion miles? 
what could possibly be so good and so necessary and so absolutely got to have it or I'm going to be so sad and die in that one inch that negates or overshadows nine billion miles. If you think about it in those terms, you start to put it in perspective. What, what is your earthly treasure? What's the thing you're wanting to hold on to? That, the thing that you're wanting to hold on to is the thing that you are willing to search out clever arguments to justify. That's your earthly treasure. Is it worth it? Jesus says, no, of course not. Of course not. Of course it's not worth it. There's nothing you could stuff in that one inch that could be possibly worth nine billion miles of unmitigated everlasting joy. And the only reason we would ever, ever think so is because one, we really don't believe it. We have weak faith. We don't really believe that God's going to come through on His promises. We don't really believe they're true. Or two, in the busyness, in the chaos, in the heat of everyday life, we just get myopic and start thinking, man, a Hershey chocolate bar would be real good right about now. When we faced with the comfortableness of the inch, it's real easy to forget about the nine billion miles. And listen, whatever it is, whatever that treasure of yours is, whatever it is you're willing to seek out clever arguments to justify, God in His mercy wants to shake us out of that myopia and call our attention to the truth that eternal quality in life is so much better. Point one. That point two, that even if it cost us everything, everything would still be worth it. I tried to do an online search for a story about an entrepreneur that sacrificed everything to make it big, and I ended up, there's so many stories, I couldn't even pick one because that is the paradigm. People that create massive, massive successful organizations, whether it's a business or a church, their stories are one of crazy sacrifice and hardship where they put everything on the line and risked everything in order to see it through. And the difference of the stories are that you go and look for these stories, there's stories of the guys who made it and then there's stories of guys who didn't make it and failed. And the only difference between those stories was the outcome. In the stories where the people didn't make it, you look at the sacrifice that they made, the loss that they experienced, and you're like, we're like, oh my gosh, that's so awful. That's so sad. But you take an exactly, a story that's exactly the same, the same sacrifice, the same hardship, the same giving up of everything for the goal, and in, in the stories where the people made it, and you're like, that's the greatest thing of all time. That was a great, that was, a, that was an amazing thing that he, they did. Totally worth it. If they win, it was totally worth it and it was the best thing they ever did. And listen, what Jesus wants us to know is that the kingdom of God is a big win. (laughs) The kingdom of God is a big win. And we, the problem though, here's our problem. The problem is we tend to think 
that the big win is something very different from what God thinks the big win is. In this case, the metaphor is money or wealth or material wealth. <clears throat> the man is willing to sell off everything that he has in order to buy this hidden treasure in this field. And it's a metaphor for anything that our kingdom is. Maybe that is you. Maybe material wealth, maybe money is your thing. That's the thing that you make clever arguments to justify. Maybe that's the thing that you cannot uh, shake. It's the most important thing for you. Like the rich young ruler. That's why Jesus said that to him. It was where his heart was. He wanted to show him where his heart really was, what he considered to be the highest treasure. Maybe that's you. Maybe it is money. Maybe you placed yourself in a financial position by extending yourself so that you no longer can give to the mission of the church. And that's because money is most important. Maybe even worse, you, uh, you, your heart is so cold to the gospel you don't even think that's important to give financially to the mission of the church. Maybe uh, you're so angry at God about not being rich that you've made money and idol just the same. But maybe it's something else. Maybe your kingdom is sex. Maybe your kingdom is fame. Maybe your kingdom is power or security or relationships or whatever it is. Whatever it is, whatever it is, this is talking about a question of attitude. Do I want the kingdom more than anything else? It says that the man joyfully sold off everything that he had. He wasn't in compulsion. He wasn't freaked out like, man, I better sell this stuff quick or I'm going to lose out. Out of joy in his heart. It was like he was so convinced that that hidden treasure was so much better than anything he possessed, he was willing to shed anything in order to get it. He was willing and wanted more than anything else for God to shape him into the image of Christ rather than the clever arguments that we seek out to justify our earthly treasure that then seeks to conform the word of God into what we want it to say. But here's the thing. This is the whole, this is the point. God is not like shaming the rich young ruler at all. He is out of mercy. He's calling his attention. God has the most amazing way of getting our attention, of literally bringing us to the crossroads. One way or another, in the Christian life, God is going to figure out a way to get you to the place where you have to, you face a decision. What's more important to me? Is Jesus more important to me? Or is this more important to me? This thing that I know God says will be destructive. Listen, listen to what, in the, in the story of the rich one, young ruler, we read it today for our law and, and gospel readings. I'm going to read the passage from, listen to this, the way Mark tells the story. The rich young ruler says, yeah, I've done all that, i did all that, I did all that. What am I missing? And, Jesus, and, it says, and, see, and it says, Jesus, he looked at him and he loved him and he said, one thing you lack. He loved him. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that remarkable? He brought that rich young ruler to the crossroads of what he thought he needed to be happy and what God knew he needed to be happy, not to shame him, not to torment him, not to fill him full of self-loathing, but because he loved him. He loved him so 
deeply. He wanted to wake him up to the fact, hey, you're turning down a gold coin for a chocolate bar. And I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. How he loved him is how he loved him is this. The one thing that all of our earthly treasures have in common is that they are temporary. No matter what it is. Eventually, it's going to fade away. I had a guy in my early Christian walk tell me, I was a car guy. He he told me he said, looked at me dead in the eye and he goes, That car that you think you need so badly in 20 years is going to be rusting in a junkyard. And I was, it was a paradigm shift for me. I was like, wow, that's true. That's absolutely true. That freed me when he told me that, that bluntly. That was a love. He was loving me in that moment to tell me that. And Jesus wants to tell us the same thing. He wants us to have the eternal He wants to strip us of things in this life, in the inch, yes, but the nine billion miles of everlasting joy is what he wants for us, and he wants for us to begin to experience it even now. Now, look, what I am not saying, I am not saying that it is not possible for a real Christian to ever refuse at the crossroads, refuse to give up something God's calling them to lose. Sometimes real Christians walk. I know that personally. <laughs> what I do know is that when real Christians walk, God in his mercy sends a spirit of torment like he did with Saul. It won't be what you think it is. It will not be enjoyable. And if it is, if the spirit of torment does not come, that is truly scary. Because God's not disciplining you. And the Bible says that God will discipline his sons and daughters. Look, in my old life, there were a lot of things I thought I could not live with that. I could not imagine, could not imagine a life of monogamy or a life of celibacy. And now, after walking with Jesus for 12 years, it blows my mind that someone would trade in everlasting joy for sex, but they do it all the time or other things. And God and Jesus would want to save us from that. It's such a bad trade. It is such a bad trade. Here's the last part, the best trade ever made. There's some about this passage that has always not confused me, but always made me say, hmm. And it's, it's especially the second part about the merchant and the pearl. Who is, is Jesus talking about? Who, who's the merchant? What kind of trade's being made in that section? I mean, in one sense, we know that it's, it's a parallelism, right? It's a, two parallel stories that are basically teaching the same truth that eternal quality life is so good that anything... That, any, that if, even if we lost everything, it would still be worth it. It would still be the best trade ever made. But there's other things about that second half that always caught my attention. Listen, listen. Uh, let me read it again. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and he sold all that he had and bought it. 
the first thing is that I notice is that the metaphors switch up from the first one. In the first parable, the kingdom is the hidden treasure and it's found unexpectedly by a man. That makes sense. That's pretty straight up. But in the second parable, the kingdom is a man, the merchant, who is searching out a treasure. Which doesn't really make sense. And the second part is that all the verb tenses switch up in the second, the second part of the story. Not to get all super technical and geek out on you. Not to Greek geek out on you. But in the first parable, they're all perfect and present tense verbs. Which means that it's like continuing action could apply to anybody, anywhere, ongoing thing. But in the second parable, it's all past tense verbs. This is something that happened at one point in time that's completed and done. A man found a great treasure and bought it. A little different. And the third thing that always that caught my eye as I was reading through this and meditating through this week is that last word, the, the word bought. He bought it. It's the same word uh, that's used in this verse from 1 Corinthians that where God says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Our treasure, talking about. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? God's treasure given to us, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Same word. Same word here too in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us. That's bought. Christ bought us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That's almost synonymous with kingdom, salvation, the reign of God given to us because why? Because Jesus bought us. Third verse, Revelation five. This is us singing. In the new, in our, in our, in, in when we are in the kingdom, in its fullness, in the glory of the everlasting joy that God has for us, we're going to sing this song. We're going to say it says, and they sang a new song, saying, "Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you bought." people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I mean, we could go on. I could go on and on forever. We could talk about Philippians 2, about Christ leaving everything that he had, giving up all that he had to come and seek out something that was so precious to him that he gave up everything to purchase it with his own blood, We could go on and on in the New Testament picking out passages like that. I think there's a parallel going on in that story, but really Jesus, he's subtle like he always is, but I think he's making a contrast. He's trying to say to us, listen, the best reason, best reason why you should be willing to give up everything for the kingdom and because Jesus has already given up everything in order to buy you into it. You already have it. Jesus already sealed the deal. He already created the reality of you being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven 
an adopted son or child of God. And because of that, God wants you to begin to live into the reality of what you are and stop listening to the lies of the devil that wants to tell you you are something else or that you need the chocolate bar. He's saying you got gold. You got gold that will never perish, that will never rust, that will never fade away, that I am guarding for you in heaven, that is being protected by the faith that I am giving you cannot be taken away. He wants us to know that on top of loving us enough to speak truth to us, even when we don't want to hear it, He loves us enough to show us the real state of our hearts, the poverty that it causes us. He wants, he wants you to know, He wants me to know, that we are of such great value to Him. The word is really precious. We are, you are so precious to Him that he was willing to give up everything that he had to purchase you through the cross. He was willing to endure unspeakable loss in order to win you. For the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And in this passage, he is setting before us that same joy. Listen. I want you to enter into the joy that I purchased for you. I want you to start doing it now. It's going to be rough at first. It could be painful. You're going to have to trust me. But in and through all of this, the chaos and the heat of life, he promises his spirit will be working in and through us to begin the process of eternal quality life even now because he loves us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so overwhelmed with your love for us. Lord, we know, we all know we don't deserve this. When we read the Bible close, it says that you didn't save us because of how great we are. You saved us because of how great you are. And sometimes that's so hard to, to grasp for us that you just love us that much because you've chosen to love us and that it's your love for us that is making us beautiful. So Lord, I pray you would help us to hang on and I pray you would help us to listen to your word. I pray that you would give us a willingness to be shaped into the truth of what your word says about us. I hope you give us, I pray you would give us power to fight against all of the lies that have been so strategically placed into our culture to distract us, to discourage us, to confuse us. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to love you because we know how much you love us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.